We come now to the teaching of God's Word portion of our service. I invite you to grab a Bible and flip to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 18 this morning, and we, of course, have that in the email that we sent out. Uh, While you're turning there, I want to talk to the kids for a second. If you're a kid and you're watching this video, then raise your hand. Uh, I can see you right there. No, I can't. This is a video. Put your hand down. Um, We are looking at a verse that I'm curious if your parents quote to you all the time. It is this famous phrase that says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. My parents quoted this verse to me all the time. And so if your parents quote that verse to you all the time, then you are in good company. It's usually about arguing with your siblings or um, grumbling about what the food is made or that kind of thing. But um, there are actually things that adults complain about too and grumble about. And so we are all going to look at those things together this morning. So uh, that being said, let's go straight to our passage and I'm going to read it um, before talking about it any further. It's again Philippians 2 verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, as we starting out, I'll say right up front that this is a very challenging passage. Um, this is a passage I've actually been thinking about for several years and even still um, have a hard time you know, figuring out or coming to rest at exactly what, why Paul uses the phrases that he does in each place. He's alluding to the Old Testament without quoting it in several places, which is it can be a little bit confusing. But even with that, even if this is difficult uh, for you, and I'll do the best I can to make it as plain as possible, that there's some really profound um, and heavy stuff that is going on in here that is very good for us, that is clear, and that we need to hear. And that our faith is not in ourselves, but is that God will actually be faithful through his word. And we uh, can look at this in confidence in that. But this also, you know, if you reread this, this gives us several questions that might come up. Um, you know, it says that we should obey and work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Like, is this saying that we need to be afraid of God? Uh, that we, if we make a misstep, uh, we should be afraid of Him? Is this saying that we have to, you know, work on our salvation so that we will arrive uh, at a place of salvation, uh, that we will build on it? Is this saying that if we do grumble and complain, that we're no longer blameless? It doesn't mean that if we're, we grumble and complain that uh, our witness in the culture to those around us is then void. 
you know, all of these things um, just jump out of it. And so we're going to have to answer some of these along the way. And I hope to address them. Uh, But as I said, I do want to start by talking about this issue of complaining, which is one of the central things that Paul is, is talking about. And I want to ask us so that we see ourselves in the text and we don't just uh, look at this as something to answer all of our questions about. What is it that you complain or argue about most? And you can just take some time even through the week to uh, reflect on that. Is that when you start grumbling or complaining about your life or arguing with others, what is it usually about? And this is a very broad question, so I'm going to try to frame it uh, in a particular way and try to narrow it down a little bit for us. Paul doesn't say this specifically in, in this passage or say what the grumbling or disputing is about, but the theme that he's been working on and, and throughout this whole letter is this issue of selfish ambition. Uh, this seems to be one of the central things he's addressing in the Philippian church, where he addressed already before how some preach, preach Christ out of rivalry or selfish ambition for their own gain. Uh, he uses the phrase self-interest a lot. Um, he uses rivalries against each other and now complaining and, and arguing. And so this, what he's getting at, what he's talking about here, has to have something to do with um, a self-centered ambition. Um, and this is actually a clue to what these complaints are about. Um, the, the quickest way to find out uh, where the complaints are coming from is where ambition, where a deep desire for something is actually thwarted. And if we will notice where the desire is thwarted, there we will find uh, the source of our complaints and our discontentment. So what does selfish ambition look like? Uh, It could be look like uh, trampling people in some way, getting accolades for ourselves, getting honor at other people's expense. Uh, Some of us are very competitive people, um, and we already know what that means for us. But not all of us have a competitive um, disposition or personality. We might say that I'm not competitive at all in any way. So how does self-ambition, selfish ambition relate to me? And to answer that, we just have to go to the source of all cultural knowledge, and that is Instagram. So if you go to Instagram and look, there's a phrase that is this, I'm living my best life. Uh, This is something that has cropped up this year, and we see a lot, and you see people, they're usually doing yoga, or they're taking a nap, or drinking a margarita, or something like that, and say, you know, I'm living my best life. This is the best version of me uh, right here. Um, and this tends to be the, this, the shape of what our selfish ambition can look like um, for ourselves, that we want to be the best version of ourselves. We want to improve ourselves. Uh, we want to be happy and pleased with who we are. But the interesting thing about it, uh, if you'll look, these are all self-assessments. And this is where some of the problem comes in, is that with selfish ambition, which is different from ambition in general, uh, which could be a good thing, it's not bad to desire good things for our lives, that we have actually made ourselves the ultimate judge of our life and what our best life is. And that we have decided beforehand that this is good and this is not uh, for ourselves. And when that happens, circumstances can get very, very tricky because they don't always go our way. And relationships can get very, very tricky because it doesn't take long until somebody else's uh, best life interferes with our best life. And we have to say the old phrase, this town isn't big enough for the two of us. And conflict ensues from there. So this 
This is what I want to talk about, this selfish ambition and what the gospel does for us. You know, we actually might even be content with that. We might want that to be our life. Uh, We might want to, you know, craft a life for ourselves of our own making. But what the gospel does for us is that even in the middle of our rat race of our lives, it breaks in and it gives us something different. It gives us something new. It gives us a kind of good news um, that is not natural um, and that is new for us, that challenges us uh, and for us to consider. And Paul is doing that here in this Philippian church, that the way that they are functioning um, with a corporate functioning that is based on selfish ambition, rivalries with each other, complaining when circumstances aren't right, especially in the face of suffering, there's actually a new ambition that he wants them to have for themselves, for themselves. And it's interesting, isn't it? And if we'll see here, it's actually not an ambition for us, but it's an ambition for God to please himself as the ultimate judge of our lives. And that God would have pleasure in the way that he judges our lives and the way he orchestrates what circumstances and people come in them. In other words, God gets to say, what's our best life? What does it mean to be living our best life? It has to do with what he says. Um, I'm going to have to get in the weeds a little bit here to explain a few of these phrases, so uh, bear with me for just a minute. Uh, as he's, we start out here in these first few verses, Paul is calling on this church in Philippi to obey, both in his absence now that he is locked away in prison, and he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this can sound like uh, that you have to work on your salvation, that is to accumulate good works, to work hard, uh, to be rigorous in your religious duties, and then you will arrive or maintain your salvation. But that's not at all what this means here. Almost every time in the Bible when this word is used, then it means to actually work out of a state that has been given and to work out the implications of what that state means all the way um, until its completion. And that's, that's the sense here uh, in the context. That's the sense how Paul uses this in his other letters. Um, and so that's a little bit confusing, so I'm going to illustrate. If you've seen that uh, old movie, The Princess Diaries, uh, I saw an ad for this um, the other day and made me think of it. But Anne Hathaway, she um, becomes, unbeknownst to her, a, or, a princess or an heiress to some a great kingdom full of riches, but um, her hygiene's not good, her manners are not good, and she has to learn. The whole movie is about her learning how to become and act like a princess. And there's a sense in which no matter what she does, she is a princess. She's the heiress of these riches, and she belongs in this family and in this kingdom. But she can certainly not look like one uh, in the way she eats and the way she conducts herself. And this is kind of getting on the language of sonship that Paul uses in his other letters, that we have been made by grace alone, even while still being sinners, sons and daughters of the King of Heaven. But then the walk of faith for us is not to add to that or to make that happen, but actually to live out of that new reality. Um, And this is what Paul means here to work out uh, your your own salvation, is to work out what the implications that our salvation has on our life. And what are we working for? Uh, salvation. I keep using that la- th- this word as well, which also takes a little bit of explaining. 
Salvation with Paul, when he uses this word, does not always mean the same thing as justification. Justification is a part of salvation. Justification means that when Christ paid our debt and gave us his perfect life, he reconciled us to God so that we can stand, still being sinners currently, in his presence and be received by him perfectly with great joy, clothed in white, without blemish. We have been justified. And that is not just true at the end. That is true for the believer right now. Right now, because of our justification, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But that's just the beginning. So when he's talking about salvation, he's talking about something that is much more holistic, that lasts not only our whole lifetime, but even the whole history of redemption that Christ is working out. Salvation has to do with our being justified by Jesus and his governance of our lives, the process of sanctification where he continuously makes us new uh, into the creatures that he desires for us to be, and then all the way until the end when all things are made new. He's looking at that whole scope. And as we are justified, we are brought in to this salvation. And salvation then becomes not only something that we have been given, as in salvation from sin and the threat of penalty, but it is also something we do, as one commentator put it, that we live out our salvation. We live out this process of being made new that we actually... Uh, participate in by God's grace alone. And so, but that brings us, so what does this look like in real life? So we're working out this salvation. If you look at the rest of this, you know, the things, what this means for us, it means obedience. And this is an acceptance of what God says is good, not just what we say is good. He uses this phrase, fear and trembling, which this is a phrase that Paul's used together a few other times in other letters. And it essentially means a humble posture. It could be before other people or before God. It's the opposite of being puffed up um, or conceited. Uh, So it's having a humble posture about it. He says, holding fast is a characteristic of working out our salvation, which is accepting this way of life given by another, not that we have made for ourselves. Paul's using sacrificial language that he is actually pouring himself out in sacrificial service uh, on behalf of others for the sake of the gospel, and is calling the Philippians to do this as well. These are the characteristics. And these have all been summed up in what we looked at last week, which is the thing that Paul had just said, which is the example of Christ. And that Christ, rather than using his, his status as king, his status as the ruler of all, Um, his equality with God, a thing to be grasped and used for his own advantage. He gave himself up in humble service for others, entrusting himself to God for God to use him and to raise him up at the last time. And that's how we arrive in putting all those things together, even though that's uh, a head full to hold together. All of these things have to do with God being the one to be the ultimate judge the ultimate director, the ultimate one in control of our lives. It is an entrusting who we are, what we have, what happens to us into his hands. For him to say what is good, him to lead us where he wants us to go, and not just uh, where we might want to go ourselves. And this can mean several different things. This can mean suffering. For Paul, this meant that he continues to adopt this humble and thankful posture 
before God, uh, even when he's in prison. In Paul's life, God has chosen for him to work out his salvation in a context of prison and suffering in many ways for his preaching of the gospel. Like for us, the coronavirus is an easy example. Like God has put us in this position. That he, I don't think any one of us would have said that we're living our best life unless you're sitting by a pool drinking a margarita um, and getting paid and not working. But for most of us, it's been hard. Um, I don't think we would have said this, but God has, in his own wisdom, he has put us in this position, in this situation, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not only circumstances, this can be in relationships. You know, we can say, did God really have to put this person in my life to be connected to? This is not living my best life, living with this person. This is not living my best life when others are getting more recognition than I am. This is not getting, living my best life when somebody else gets their priorities in our community group instead of us. Paul is actually challenging us and calling us that this gospel, an essential part of it, is not just something that props up our, self, our own self-interest, our own ambition. It does give us a new identity. It does give us great comfort. It gives us so many good things. But it also challenges our view of ourselves, that it is not us who are we are to have ambition to please as the ultimate judge of our lives, but it's actually God. With this salvation, God is calling us to entrust ourselves into God's hands to lead wherever he see fits and whatever that means for our lives. And this leads us here to this last point. So that's obviously difficult, and that's obviously very uh, counter to nature for all of us. And how do we do this when what pleases us and what seems to please God can be so radically different? I think one of the barriers for us is that we still do suffer. We still feel suffering. When someone gets recognition that we feel like we should have, it still hurts. And when we go through a situation of suffering, it still hurts. And for us somehow, resting in this control of God that he has in his sovereignty, um, in our new Christian identity and what that means, that we're just not stoic enough that we can be disaffected by the suffering that we experience. And so we lose hope and we get discouraged, and often we give up, and we just resort to grumbling and complaining and trying to hedge our bets, to forging our own path in life. But what Paul is talking about here, and this is what the good news of the gospel actually is, that this is not an unaffected life. He is not even calling us to the kind of stoic life that is free from suffering, even acknowledging the suffering for what it is. Life hurts. A lot of the situations that God leads us into, they actually hurt. It's not an unaffected life that's free from disappointment, but it is a God, it is a life with something else that has been added. And that as we were there, and this is made most clear in the example of Christ, that while we were suffering, while we were his enemies, he gave himself up for us. He did not hold on to his own dignity, but he actually took the form of a servant And Christ entrusted his life into the hands of God. And God, through those things, he raised him to the highest seat with the highest glory. And he used all of those things, 
that he had experienced to actually crown Jesus with glory and honor. And that is something that is radically different. It is not a disaffected life we are being called to. It is a life of reckoning with the cross of Jesus that Jesus has been given to us. And so that as we are united to him, we have the promise while we still suffer that he is with us and that he is working out even suffering in order to accomplish his will. And we see all these things here in this passage and here that he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. He is at work both to will that we will and work for his good pleasure. Even when he says this about that we would be lights that shine um, in the world, um, he's alluding to Daniel chapter 12, the first four verses, which is an eschatological view, a view at the end of the end times when all things are revealed. So that even the works done on earth, that they are revealed to how they contribute to that way in the end, even though they might be the most small and overlooked works now at this time. That it is him that is the author behind the scenes, and he is working all things in order to result in the glorious redemption that he is bringing. And so where we're left at the end is we are challenged where we are with Jesus, what he has done and what he has given to us. And so we are encouraged to look at our circumstances, our suffering right in the eyes, and not be unaffected by them, but to ask, what can God do here? What, if he can do that, what he has done with Jesus, what can he do here? If he was faithful to Jesus, even at the fullest extent of suffering, how is he faithful to me right where I am? And that is our invitation. This is the challenge of the cross uh, that Paul has interjected in here to this life of the Philippians that he has to ask us that we would reckon with. And I'll stop there, and I want us to pray that he would do that in his spirit, that he would help us to see the goodness of what only he can work in us through Jesus. Father, help us. Send your spirit. Give us comfort. Give us courage. Help us to see uh, the wonders of what you are able to offer through your grace as a gift and not what we can accomplish for ourselves. Help us to long for you uh, and your work to take precedence in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.